It is now my pleasure to welcome Karen Schicanelli and Michael Evans to the stage. Karen and Michael are going to speak this morning about their experiences in facilitating Wellspring's inaugural Our Whole Lives, or OWL, program. Karen and Michael, welcome. Hi, I'm Karen. And first, let me tell you, public speaking is not my thing. So when Ken first suggested that Michael and I speak to the congregation about OWL, I almost had a stroke. But as Michael pointed out to me, if we can teach this curriculum to a room full of teenagers, we can pretty much do anything. So if, for those of you who aren't familiar with Our Whole Lives or OWL, it's a comprehensive, abstinence-based human sexuality program, and our first class was for students in grades 7 through 9 in hopes of reaching them before they become sexually active. Now a few points. Abstinence-based. When I first heard that, I thought, abstinence only, and I thought, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? We've all heard, we're all familiar with the fear-based abstinence-only programs, and I had no desire to be any part of that. That's not what AL is. AL is abstinence-based, meaning we promote abstinence, but also discuss contraception and STI prevention should abstinence not be their choice. Now, you might be thinking, aren't you telling them it's okay to have sex? No. To me, it's like saying, what, what we're telling them is, it's best that you don't have sex at this young age, but should you decide to, you need to do it responsibly. It's like saying to your teen, I really don't want you to drink, but if you do, call me. Do not drive home. Um, my next point is that this did I lose my thing? No. Okay. It's not your fault. It's just, it's just going droopy. Okay. I hate when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you about it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my <laughs> oh, further embarrassment. Okay. <laughs> Um, my next point is this is comprehensive education. It's not just biology. Most of the teens, of course, are already familiar with that. But thinking about what to do in certain situations and giving them tools to make responsible decisions. We had many activities where we'd prevent the, present the teens with situations they might encounter so they'd have a chance to think about what would be the best decision for them. Better to think about it now before they're in the back seat of the car. And we didn't tell them the right answers. We had them figure out what was appropriate for them, considering their feelings, their values, and their goals. When they were having a hard time deciding what was right for them, we'd have them look at our program values, which were always hanging in our room, and they're very similar to our DNA here at Wellspring. Okay. Our first program value is self-worth. Every person is entitled to dignity and self-worth and to his or her own attitudes and beliefs about sexuality. Next is sexual health. Knowledge about human sexuality is helpful, not harmful. Every individual has the right to accurate information about sexuality and to have his or her questions answered. Healthy sexual relationships are consensual, 
non-exploitative, in, in equal in terms of power, nobody's forcing anybody to do something they aren't ready for, mutually pleasurable, safe, with little or no risk of unintended pregnancies, sexually transmitted infections, or emotional pain, developmentally appropriate, meaning appropriate to the age and maturity of the people involved, based on mutual expectations and caring, and respectful. Next in sexual health, sexual intercourse is only one of the many ways of expressing sexual feelings with a partner, and it's healthier for young adolescents to postpone sexual intercourse. Next value is responsibility. We are called to enrich our lives by expressing sexuality in ways that enhance human wholeness and fulfillment and express love, commitment, delight, and pleasure. All persons have the right and obligation to make responsible sexual choices. And our final program value is justice and inclusivity. We need to avoid double standards. People of all ages, genders, races, backgrounds, income levels, physical and mental abilities, and sexual orientation must have equal value and rights. Sexual relationships should never be coercive or exploitative. And being romantically and sexually attracted to both genders, bisexual, the same gender, homosexual, or the opposite gender, heterosexual, are all natural in the range of human sexual experience. Okay, and in addition to the program values, AL is based on the following assumptions. And they are, all persons are sexual. Sexuality is a good part of the human experience. Sexuality includes much more than sexual behavior. Human beings are sexual from the time they're born until they die. It's natural to express sexual feelings in a variety of ways. People engage in healthy sexual behavior for a variety of reasons, including to express caring and love, to experience intimacy and connection with another, to share pleasure, to bring new life into the world, and to experience fun and relaxation. Sexuality in our society is damaged by violence, exploitation, alienation, dishonesty, abuse of power, and the treatment of people as objects. And finally, it's healthier for young adolescents to postpone sexual intercourse. And now here's Michael. So I'm, I'm, I'm not used to being up here as Michael as opposed to Horace. But, uh, <laughs> so the question is, like, what drew us, or so I'm going to talk specifically, what drew me to want to teach Al? Um, I mean, for, so it's a good question. For starters, I was once a teenage boy myself. I mean, it's been a while ago now, but I, I still remember a few things, a few experiences about that. Like, for example, I remember how... The guys I used to talk and grew up with, the way that they used to talk about relationships. I mean, I had ideas of what a healthy relationship was, and I had ideas about how I felt that people should be treated. But uh, where I grew up, the setting I grew up in in Northeast Philadelphia, uh, I felt that I had to project a much different view outwardly um, amongst my peers. It was one that reeked of machismo, of, of conquest, and it was one that objectified. And Although my friends and I never really spoke about it, my feeling was that they too had different images or different views inside. The subject of homosexuality, that was something that we never spoke about, except in the context perhaps of making fun of someone. 
Um, now, since that time, I've come to learn that one of my closest personal friends that I grew up with is openly gay. And I can't imagine what it was like for him to grow up amongst us back then. Now, as an adult, I've been involved uh, for the past couple of years with some men's groups. And uh, these, groups are, these are groups that facilitate a, a safe environment for men to get together and have some really intimate conversations. These are discussions about experiences, uh, about troubles. And you know what? I found it incredible how many men from all walks of life have so many issues as adults, as fathers, as spouses, that stem from convoluted views of relationships, from their views of sexuality, and their views of self-respect. And where did they learn all that they knew? Well, I mean, as much younger men, they learned it from their peers, or they learned it from their father figures, who, when you think about it, whether their father figures learn about it from their peers, etc. And these are people that themselves may have grown up to have the same challenges as adults. So now that group work that I got involved with, I later did some in a co-ed setting. And you know what I found out? This wasn't just limited to guys. This was across the board. So when I learned about Al, I was incredibly excited. There were, there were, it was so much more than a, a sex education class. And I thought, after I read the curriculum, imagine, just imagine if I could, through teaching this class, help at least one teen to grow into adulthood without dragging along all these issues and baggage that plague so many of us, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, like the kinds of issues that stem from misinformation, from discrimination, and from ignorance. Like, for example, consider a boy who had thoughts or, or, or feelings and is wondering, is there something wrong with me? Imagine how wonderful it would feel for him in a, in a safe place, in a safe setting, to learn that others have had those same feelings, those same thoughts, and to learn that, yes, he is perfectly normal. Or imagine a young girl who's uncertain about some part of her body. She's unsure about a, something that she's feeling or experiencing. Uh, is it the right thing? Um, you know, it, it weighs heavily on her. It affects her self-image. Until she learns, again, in a safe setting, that she too is perfectly normal, that others are feeling the exact same way. So the question, why did I want to teach Al? Because if I could help just one person to get past all this relatively unscathed, that would be my gift to create a, a better community through helping at least one person be the best member of the community that they can be. Now let you share why you want to teach. Okay. I wanted to teach Al because I have a niece who really would have benefited from taking Al, and I believe it would have changed her life. As a little background, she hadn't seen her father since she was a baby. Her stepfather and her mother's other boyfriends were in and out of her life, and she never had a man in her life who made her feel special. At 14, she found a boy who told her what she wanted to hear, and she had a baby with him when she was 15. Um, when she was 19, she was pregnant for the fourth time. Um, this happened because every adult in her life had failed her. No one wanted to talk to her about sex because they didn't want to give her any ideas. <sighs> yeah. At the same time, no one was surprised the first time she got pregnant. 
No one had ever said to her, you're a special and wonderful person. You have so much more to offer someone than just your sexuality. So my niece isn't the first girl in this situation, and she certainly won't be the last. And while I'm not so idealistic as to think I can help all of them, maybe someone in my class, maybe a girl in that situation will be in my class and be given the tools to make different decisions. Or maybe someone in our class will have a friend in that situation and be able to help her based on what we've had them think about. So I like to think that I'm a small part of this ripple of education. And that's why I chose Al, but I feel like I got so much more than I gave. The students in this class really renewed my faith in humanity, and I'm very optimistic of a future with them leading our world. Teens really get a bad rap, and it isn't deserved. When we, during the time we had our class, they had the problems with the flash mobs in Philadelphia, you know, with the teens descending upon South Street in hundreds and robbing people and injuring them. And to believe the media, they're representative of the teens in our country. They're not. I believe our teens are. They've proven themselves to be kind, considerate, compassionate, intelligent people who care about their friends and families, their communities, and the rest of the world. They didn't always agree, but they were always willing to listen to others respectfully and consider what they were hearing. They're very hopeful for their future, and we should be too. So it was quite, as you gather from, from what Karen was just saying, it's been quite an experience in teaching the class. So then we set back to think, like, what did we really take from it ourselves as teachers from our experience? So what did I learn? Well, from an anatomical standpoint or from a, a, a technical or technique standpoint, I can't say that I really learned too much. But admittedly, there, there's some things that I covered in class that back when I was a teenager, I didn't know. I pretended to. Um, I don't know if anybody can relate to that. Um, now, there were a few choice words and phrases that I picked up in the class, and uh, I'll forever think differently about the phrase of playing Scrabble. Um, <laughs> now, for anybody that has uh, any parents that had kids in the class, you can ask them if, if what playing Scrabble means, and, and perhaps they'll share it with you. Um, but we did have a covenant of privacy in the class, so I can't really explain here what they, they meant by that. But, uh, But... From an overall view, uh, like if I, if I, from the, the, the sky-high, mile-high world of looking at individuals interacting and relating to one another, there is one thing in this class that really, really stuck out in my mind. It really hit home, and that is heterosexism. Has anybody ever heard of that term? Um, essentially, heterosexism is the assumption that all other people are heterosexual until proven otherwise. Um, and you know what? It's, it's an assumption that's everywhere. It's uh, everywhere we look. Um, like, for example, say, say we have a guy who, who says he's single. Others might suggest girls he could be fixed up with. They don't first ask him if he's even into girls. They just assume. Or if a group of high school girls are together and they're talking, they might start asking each other, so who do you want to go to the prom with? What guy are you thinking about? You know? and again, they don't, it, it's not a, a question first. It's just an assumption. And it's an assumption that's portrayed throughout society in, in movies and advertising and television. Now, for my end, as open and as accepting as I thought I was to people of all sexual orientations, I realized how I did or said little things that were, well, 
heterosexist. And, and so, like, if meeting someone for the first time at a party in business, I mean, here at Wellsprings, for example, I simply never considered the possibility that they might be gay. Now, it's not that I go around having conversations with people that hinge on their, their, their sexual orientation, but, like, let's say I'm introduced to a guy and we have a conversation. I might ask him, so, are you married? Is your wife here with you, you know? Or, like, a hypothetical question. All right, so imagine you're out at a restaurant with your, your wife or your girlfriend. Um, so I might not have assumed that he was married, but in that case, I certainly assumed that he was straight. And, like, taking that a step further, it's not always things that we say. Uh, there's a lot of times that I meet someone that I might just make an assumption in my mind. So if it came to my attention that someone that I knew was gay, um, my reaction in the past might have been one of surprise, like, oh, I, I didn't know. Where as opposed to a better reaction might be like, well, yeah, and that's relevant because why? So mostly I just didn't even consider the option. And I've come to see how difficult that makes it for someone who is of an orientation other than the standard heterosexual especially if they're not open with it. So in the OWL class, so much of what we taught, so much of what we did was built around establishing values for ourselves and respecting the values of others, regardless of their gender, regardless of their race, or the, any disabilities or sexual preference. So what I got from the class, me personally, was the realization that, that I, in, in, in my, my own ignorant way was not living to that same covenant that we were teaching in the class. So it was awakening for me. So with that, I just say, you know, the next time you're meeting someone new, think about how you're interacting with them. Are you, what kind of assumptions you're making? Um, are you even thinking about all the possibilities? Is it even an issue? Um, so that's really what I took and what I learned from working with these kids and teaching this class. Okay. Um, I love Al. I'm very passionate about it, and I think everyone who has the opportunity should take it. And in teaching it, I found that I learned something very important, and that was about objectification. Treating people as objects in our society is so pervasive we don't even think about it. And many of us are painfully familiar with Hustler magazines, images of women treated as objects, most notably the photo of the woman going through the meat grinder. And I'm sure we all agree that's objectifying and totally inappropriate and ridiculous. In everyday life, though, there are much more subtle examples of objectification that are so commonplace we don't even notice how affected we are by them. Every day we see images of women portrayed as nothing but sex objects. They're completely one-dimensional, as though they have no benefit other than as a sexual being. This image is used to sell clothing, perfume, beer, and a multitude of other products. It's so subtle and so pervasive that we accept it as normal. It's normal for young girls to think they have to be perfect, perfectly thin, perfectly beautiful, perfectly airbrushed, and that no one will want them if they're imperfect. And of course they want to be wanted as their sole asset is their sexuality. And lest you think only women are treated this way, this is a bag from Abercrombie & Fitch where many of our teens and younger kids shop. Okay, when I showed this to the class and asked if this model was being objectified, 
nobody thought anything of it, as this is something they see every day. It's perfectly normal to them. When I pointed out that he's obviously an object, he has no head. <laughs> they started to become more aware of this. <laughs> And later even told us examples they'd seen of, of objectification and how they pointed it out to their friends and family, making them aware of it as well. And until I, thought, until I taught this class and really thought about it, I was immune to objectification as well. When we think of people as objects instead of human beings, it devalues them. It makes it acceptable for us to disregard their feelings, violate them, abuse them, even kill them. Through Al, I was reminded of how important it is to respect and value people as human beings, even in a completely non-sexual way. Thank you all for your time. Thank you, Karen and Michael. For your words today and for leading this amazing inaugural program uh, of our whole lives for our teens. Let's pray together. God, in our hearts, may we have the courage to live our lives as whole beings. We are bodies, minds, and spirits together, not one greater than the other, but all facets of ourselves. We are not born into original sin, but original blessing. May that original blessing shine through the darkness of learned and imposed shame and fear. May we sing the body electric. May we celebrate and embrace our whole lives. Amen. <laughs>